Good morning again. <laughs> uh, if you're familiar with intercession, I'm having to use a handheld mic so I won't cough in your ear from an earpiece, but they don't always work as well as you hope. If you're familiar with inter if you're familiar with intercession, where you pray for someone, uh, you actually volunteer to help carry the burden that they have. So if any of you are willing today, you can um, silently intercede in case I have one of my coughing fits that don't stop. It could happen to you <laughs> and not me. And then when we see you leave, we'll go, thanks, because uh, I can keep going, which would be really awesome. Because um, I'm plan C, you know, Jeff is A, Jody is B, and I'm plan C, and I don't think we have a plan D. So I really need to um, get this all the way through. Is this too much echo? You're okay. I was here when uh, Eddie Dietz, nearing the end of an 18-year stay as pastor, announced that he was leaving. Some of you remember that as well. He had braved all the waters of change that were his to face. And as a member of the pastor search committee, I unwittingly posed a question that would turn the up side down. After a visit to a prominent Asheville Baptist church, where they told us how they go about asking the congregation who they want to be their next pastor, I asked our committee, why don't we ask God what he wants? You would have thought I was speaking a foreign language. When we prayed for God to bring whom he wanted and to install his agenda in this church with absolutely no regard for what we might want, he seemed to take us at our word and went to work. A Canadian named Greg, who didn't get the required percentage of member votes, came as an interim and stayed. Somewhere in there, we left the ranks of Baptist to become the Grove. Jeff joined us as the youth pastor with no intention of ever being a lead pastor. So when Greg announced that he too was leaving, Jeff bumped into this giant vacuum with whom to fill it but him. Sorry. We know, love, and respect Jeff, but he is no more typical than the journey that got him here. Sometimes we ask visitors to the grave why they chose to visit. And they say, because people in town told us not to. <laughs> I was like, awesome. I can only credit God with that. It's, in us, he seems to be working diligently and continually to turn our upside down. And perhaps even challenge the limitations of conventional church. Jesus came to turn the upside down and the downside up. And if we don't understand those parameters, the world is a really hostile, scary place. If we at least meet the craziness that Jesus came to install, we're prepared to view hardship, people, and ourselves with new understanding. But you can't understand what you don't know and basically refuse to wrestle with. Every day someone knocks on your door and says, please don't read the Bible today. And graciously, you invite in distraction and procrastination. They take up residence at your house and your heart, and off you go to the world done your way. 
That's everyone's neighborhood and house until we make the decision to kick the squatters out and say enough. My job today is to uncover what we might find if the squatters leave. Is there, in fact, something so compelling in the pages of the Bible that it changes the trajectory of your life? He was 13, an eighth grader, when I noticed his name as I scanned over the list of 700-plus students now in my charge as principal in a brand-new middle school. New building, first middle school for kids in this district, and a new-to-me community. His name was Nash. I'm always on the alert for unusual names, but I had no idea who he was in these first busy days until his world went more than upside down. Along with older brother Kenneth and sister Alina in the high school next door, he had been struggling with separated parents and an especially volatile father. All three kids were present at the father's house when the mom came to pick up Nash. The father picked up a gun, aimed it at the mom, now ducked behind the car door, and with Kenneth on his back, desperately trying to grab the gun, shot their mother dead. Barely September, we brought in counselors and did as much for Nash as he allowed. He was back at school almost immediately, but found a new balance between withdrawing and acting out. With his dad in prison, these kids lost both parents at once. Family members bickered over what was best, and the siblings became split between friends and family. My son moved to my school in November, and though a year younger, they became immediate friends. Weird for him, I'm sure, Nash began to sometimes sleep over at our house. He probably hoped his friends didn't know that he was at his principal's house. But the strangest thing began to happen to me. I literally fell in love with this kid like a parent falls in love with the mere news of a baby on the way. Much less birth and beyond. I thought I was losing my mind. One night in January, I got up in the middle of the night and said to God, if you are trying to tell me something, you better spell it out because I am really going crazy here. These words drifted into my mind. Nash is in peril. Our church believes that the Bible is the inspired word of God, undeniable in power and authority. That God speaks in many ways, a huge part of the conversation is in the written word. We become a part of that conversation when we actually read it, ponder, and read some more. It's a living word that speaks to each of us differently according to our ability to hear, our desire to let it work in us and change us, and our willingness to avoid trying to put God in a box that we build for him with our little bit of knowledge and hit or miss understanding. I didn't get serious about learning what was in the Bible until my 30s, and I began with a children's Bible storybook at that because the real thing to me was quite intimidating. My learning style is to learn. I need the forest. I need the big picture much more than the trees. So when I was ready, I embarked on reading it in a year. Over the last I don't know how many years, as I do that every year, I believe I've encountered every page at least once <laughs> when I wasn't sleepy or distracted. 
My big picture notion of God after all this reading is that he came to turn this world upside down. And he's a bit on the side of crazy. Certainly unconventional. So when I thought I heard that Nash was in peril, I rarely, if ever, used the word peril. I had to consider that I had some kind of thought from God. The minute I heard that, the craziness turned to action. I told the family that Nash was welcome to move in with us, and they had him there within a week. My upside down had just begun. One of my favorite new books is by Shane Hips. It's called Selling Water by the River. The second part of the title, a book about the life Jesus promised and the religion that gets in the way. That doesn't sound good because aren't we part of a religion named Christianity? But before you panic or wonder what I'm arguing, Shane is a longtime Christian and church leader. He absolutely believes in the need for church. However, here's his emphasis. The thirst we're given at birth is for Jesus. He is the river. The church wants to tell you about the river, wants to help you get into the river. But the truth is, the river is available to us anytime, even without the teaching or urging of the church. That's quite a thought. Jesus, as the river, existed before the church and truthfully before the Bible. In the first chapter of John, we read, and uh, these verses are actually on your table. There's a few copies on each table. It's also on the screen. In the first chapter of John, we read, the word was first, the word present to God, God present to the word. That sounds like at least two. We continue. The word was God in readiness for God. From day one. In our human effort to make sense of everything, we have a lot of trouble here. You read these verses and you're going, what in the world can this mean? In our human effort to make sense of everything, we have trouble here. Is God Jesus? Are they separate? How can it be? And what about the Holy Spirit? Well, here's the thought. Don't try to make sense of it. First and foremost, fall in love with it, it being the river. The river, the whole of God, the love of God, the presentation of God on earth is Jesus. If you need to ask God to help you fall in love with the word, ask away. Doesn't that seem like a prayer he'd love to answer? My extended family tried to make sense of Nash and his coming to live with us. Who could blame them? I was a single parent with a heavy-duty job and three kids of my own. They were all younger than Nash. But because I felt that what I can only call a supernatural falling in love with him as my own child, I quit trying to make sense of it. My next step was to make room for it. In his book, Shane shares how he thinks that one of the barriers to finding the river is the misunderstanding we have about the Bible. Here's his take on the Bible. Contains 66 books in dozens of literary genres with, as near, with nearly as many authors in multiple languages written over several thousand years. The Bible isn't merely a book, but a library. Isn't that a great word? 
The Bible is a library capable of conveying wide and brilliant truths. The Bible is like a piano with a vast range of notes and capable of playing an endless array of songs. But in the last few centuries, Christian institutions have narrowed the range of notes it plays, resulting in a simple song that we think is easily learned and repeated. But through time, repetition does what? It gets boring. The fresh becomes familiar, and what was once powerful becomes predictable. Familiarity breeds predictability, hence we become bored. Today, we can be in danger of believing that nothing new can come from this book. But the notes that have been neglected are waiting to resound with songs that would still surprise you. Strings long silent are now eager to sing. His book is an effort to let sound those neglected notes, to strike the dust from those strings and let a new, new song rise. I agree with him. This song is big enough for a complex world, the song being the Bible. It will wake the weary from their boredom and sleep, and it resounds with the boundless, brilliant, and indestructible love of God. How do we make room for it? We open it pushing out distraction and procrastination, who I will, I, who will, I promise you, knock on your door every day of 2013. To make a new room for Nash, I had to sell my kids on the idea. I had to spend some time getting to know him and think through goals for our stay together that might look very different from my goals for my own children. For instance, we know kids need touch. How does a female principal turned mother figure Make touch a natural thing for a devastated young teen boy. Been gay, football, <laughs> and two sore boys. God seemed to open each next door with something creative and workable. When we begin making room for reading the Bible, few people would literally say they don't want to read it, but most of us don't, can't, won't, refuse to, are reluctant to, or dread the process. All of us fit in one of those categories. Here's the secret. Think of yourselves as a power plant. My neighbors have recently installed a number of solar panels on their roof. So imagine their surprise when they were told that they had to register with the state of North Carolina as a power plant. Since their solar power can be sold back to the energy company, they are now producers as well as consumers. So we live virtually next door to a power plant that doubles as a home. That's what you want for you. You want to become a power plant that doubles as a person. You want to be power-driven in this new year. If God promises anything in his word, he promises power. He teaches us the power of love, the power of forgiveness, and the power of staying the course. As I look back on what was but a brief two years with Nash, I see that my supernatural love for him powered him through early adolescence, giving him just enough roots to grow, continuing with, with the support of other families along the way. What had been violently snatched from him had time to find living and loving soil once again. My kids and I were a power plant for Nash when he needed it most. 
power pulses in small snatches. Two years with Nash, our neighbors snatch a periodic sun. A few minutes a day by all of us, scheduled for working through the Bible. All of these are just enough to dramatically impact each of us who desperately need power to maneuver this life. If you don't hear anything else, hear this one sentence. I don't know why it impacts me so much. God is a coherent whole. God is a coherent whole. We seldom investigate him that way. He was just fine before he began the whole creation thing. That's the good news. The bad news is that he doesn't need us. And quite frankly, wonders a time or two in the Bible why he made us. It didn't take long. He was tired of us by Genesis 6 when Noah was on the scene. He says, God saw that human evil was out of control. People thought evil, imagined evil. Evil, evil, evil from morning to night. God was sorry he had made the human race in the first place. It broke his heart. When you fall in love with someone who is your child, your spouse, or your God, and they hurt, you hurt too. It breaks my heart to think that God is ever sad as he watches us. And if we're honest, one of us is always breaking his heart. If you have the courage and wisdom to ask God help you fall in love with his word, brace yourself for heartbreak as well as joy and adventure. Falling in love with Nash means following him like I do my own children. He has a beautiful wife, two school-aged daughters, and a toddler son named Baden. No one was prepared for the day when two doors that required passage to the family pool were left open. Mom thought Dad had Baden, and vice versa. When they found him in the pool, he was blue. They called 911 and went to work, giving him baby CPR. The prayer vigil that followed as he was life-flighted to Baptist Hospital in Winston-Salem was astounding to watch. Facebook had countless comments on prayers and well wishes. The doctors credited Nash and Allison with saving his life with their initial CPR. Today's a thriving, normal, more precious than ever little boy. They credit God. That is the experience of a life lived in the depths of the Bible. You seek to uncover God as a coherent whole rather than fashioning him into your vending machine or your Santa Claus. Or worse, your, how dare you, God, put that in my life contempt. Because we are created, we are indebted to him for our life. We didn't source ourselves, though sometimes we like to think we did. Jesus says it like this in Matthew 11. The Father has given me all these things to do and say, this is a unique father-son operation, coming out of father and son intimacies and knowledge. No one knows the son the way the father does, nor the father the way the son does. But I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Come away with me and you'll recover your life. 
I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. My new favorite phrase might be, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. We try to force God into our narrow parameters. We want him to serve us at our behest. You can't reverse that human condition, that temptation, unless you immerse yourself into God as a coherent whole, giving him permission to turn your life upside down. The immersion is only accomplished as you read or listen, page by page, to how this living word cuts into the uniqueness and peculiarities of your life. Your experience in learning God as a coherent whole will look very different from mine. We don't have to compete or compare. Falling in love doesn't compete. He is wholly yours, and you are wholly his. I am wholly his, and he is wholly mine. I am a power plant plugged into his wisdom, able to share power with my slice of a hurting world. You're a power plant. You get to share power with your slice of that same hurting world. Have you ever wondered what hurts God most? I'm going to guess indifference. Indifference to God happens with our worship of self-laid plans, self-made pats on the back, just life as usual, with a passing glance to God on Sunday or when it's otherwise convenient. Your regard for the Bible and what it holds is your regard for God. He didn't assemble the stories of many authors over a few thousand years to give you a pretty coffee table book. When we don't open it daily, and yes, I mean daily, we're pushing God into a corner that even our toothbrush trumps. It is shocking to think that we spend more minutes in a day brushing our teeth than investigating God as a coherent whole. And indifference... Indifference ignores invitation. I fell in love with Nash because I gave God permission to impact me that way. Since college, I've said, I want what you want. Drive my life. Just show me the way. I would have never been pressed into invitation to Nash if I'd stayed indifferent to God and to Nash. God would have been a a distant presence And Nash would have remained for me a student with problems. God has solutions that will rev up your life and carry your power plant production to people who need it most. You'll be invited into an arena filled with adventure and supernatural and the unforced rhythms of grace. But only if you invite him in by setting aside your indifference. You can't learn the backstory that God says he's eager to share with us, unless we ask to know more. In Shane Hipp's book about Jesus in the river, he explains a significance of that water into wine miracle that you may not have caught. Jesus flew regularly in the face of religious tradition. He did that a lot, but in this first miracle, he did it in a very big way. 
he directed the servants to fill the six stoneware pots that were present for ceremonial washings. He didn't say fill the wine jars. Now, wine was fine in Jewish tradition, and ceremonial water was fine, but certainly the two were never to mix. So there Jesus goes, challenging the rigid confines into which we try to force God. He turned the upside down with his first miracle, never backing down, always challenging what we thought we understood. If you don't enter into this investigation, believing that Jesus came to turn the world upside down and our thinking upside down with more power and adventure than you have ever imagined, we'll miss out on the very purpose of our life. This miracle is just one example of how we think we know about something. We have this sanctimonious passing glance. But in fact, we're just cruising that riverbank, looking at the river. On that someday, when we're no longer here, we will ache to have been in that river. It starts with a simple step into reading or listening to the full story of God as a coherent whole. He wants to show you himself. He wants to cultivate you as his power plant. He wants to bring your own heart-rending version of Nash that is so in need of power that only you can produce from what God gives you from his storehouse. One of the new and peculiar advertising slogans that we all know is, there's an app for that. Smartphone users, you have an array of apps, from games to flight check-ins, to bill paying, to reading the Bible. I used the one from YouVersion.com that Jeff pointed us to earlier in the year. But please listen. Every morning I wrestle with opening that app to read the selections. It shows me what to read that day to get through the Bible in a year. It never gets easier. I never want to do more than I want to play a game or check the news. Never. I wish I didn't have to admit that. So if that's true of me after all these years, I assume it might be true of you as well. But embedded in that tiny app, when I do open it, is a conquering power. We read in 1 John 5, the conquering power that brings the world to its knees is our faith. The person who wins out over the world's ways is simply the one who believes Jesus is the Son of God. If this is your belief and you ask to fall in love with God, you will quite possibly experience even more resistance to reading the Bible in 2013 than ever before. Do you think for a second that any enemy of God wants you to work on becoming more of a power plant? It won't be easy. Nash wasn't either in those early days. There's a cost to following this life of having it the upside turned down. My third child thought her young life with five teenagers, my two older kids, Nash and his brother and sister, she thought that her life with five teenagers was a virtual party. It worked great for her. My son had a new best friend who shared a room with him. Can't get better than that. My middle child could not make sense of it. One day she said, this is nothing but a group home. (laughs) Uh, Yep, that's true. 
These years later, she gets it. But I had to move forward with trust, wondering why God would make an already rocky childhood for her even more rocky. When the upside is going down, you just hold on for dear life. I'd like to ask the band to join me back on the stage. The Bible is full of the unconventional. It has instances of the supernatural that will rock your boat. You will be accosted by sleepiness, interruptions, and distractions if you embark on this journey. But you will become a power plant. I want that for you. But more importantly, I want it for God. I want him to get to put into play all the power adventures that are yours and only yours to experience. I don't want him to be left holding a single one unplayed. Let's pray. God, if you would, let every person leave with a new curiosity about what might lie in these pages, so beautifully rendered by you, our creator. Let them get a glimpse of just how very personal and restorative a Bible journey might be. If we're already a steady sojourner in these pages, help us continue and become even more intimate with you, our God. Thanks for the power you promise as you turn our world upside down in this new year. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.